Good morning to you. If you're with us online today, know that you're glad you're with us as well. Um, if you're here for the first time, uh, know that we're glad, we're glad you're here with us today. We'd, we'd love to connect with you. If you're online, maybe through email, you can find us, go to our staff page, or in here in person, we have a Next Steps table that we could jump to, we'll talk about later, but we're going to jump right in today. You know, I tell people often uh, that probably the hardest, uh, that, that being a dad is probably the hardest thing I have ever done, while at the same time, uh, it's one of my greatest joys in life. You know, there, there are certain things about God and His character that I have learned about, uh, learned more in depth simply by, just by being a dad. And one of those things that I've learned and I've seen is seeing the Lord's incredible patience. Because one of the hardest, one of the things I struggle with most as a dad is, is being patient. This past week, I looked at my wife, Kelly. I said, Kelly, I'm getting really sick of saying the same things over and over and over again. I'm, I feel like a broken record. I'm tired of constantly repeating myself. It's really getting to me. And then, as the Lord always does, uh, he gently reminded me that I too need constant reminders. And as we've seen in the book of Exodus, and we've, even as, uh, as a continuation of the book of Genesis, we see God show up uh, in a miraculous way. And we see God's people stirred to faith, and then a challenge arises, and then God's people are moved to doubt. And then God has to remind his people of who he is, what he has done, and the promises of what he will do. And today, we'll see the exact same thing uh, take shape again. Last week, Patrick showed us the valley of chapter 5 where Moses and Aaron rallied God's people and in their obedience, at being obedient to God, they walked into greater suffering. Their obedience of God's, the obedience of God's people led them to a very challenging time, making their, Pharaoh, their, their, their slavery under Pharaoh worse. They had to make more bricks uh, with less straw. And at the end of chapter 5, God's people looked at Moses and Aaron and they said, you have made us stink <laughs> in the sight of God. You've made us stink. And Moses, in response, was moved yet again to doubt. And then uh, that's where we left off uh, at chapter 5. Super encouraging text. Thanks, Patrick, for taking that one for us. But as we know, and as God knows, this is real life. This is, this is life. We're not always elated with joy. We have, life has ups and downs. Life has mountains and valleys. There's seasons of doubt and there's seasons of great faith. This is just part of being human. You know, although uh, as humans, we're all, we often ride the roller coaster of life, God does not change. God is constant. God is full of mercy. God is full of grace and patience. And God is for his people. And as we'll see today in chapter 6, God comes in and God shows remarkable grace and patience and speaks to Moses to encourage him. And he gives Moses a list of things that he will do. He will do it as a promise, which leads us to our main point for today. God's promises anchor his people in difficult days. God's promises anchor his people in difficult days. We know that God is a promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God. Uh, he, show, he showed that in the book of Genesis with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And today, we'll see more of who God is. We're going to see more of his character. We're going to see more of his promises. And when we see these promises, they become an anchor for Moses. And as we'll see, they also serve as an anchor for us today. You know, something that I've been doing quite a bit recently uh, is fishing. I've actually watched more YouTube videos uh, of Florida saltwater fishing than actually fishing itself, uh, mainly because I can watch a 10-minute video and, and see a massive fish caught right off the shore 
uh, which inspires me to want to go catch a really big fish and eat it. Uh, here in the fishing capital of the world, that's just what I want to do. More than anything else, I want to go catch a really big fish and eat it. Unfortunately, the only thing I can seem to catch are really small catfish. Um, you know, there's two realities that I've come to terms with in watching these short YouTube videos. And the first is, well, it's a 10-minute video. Uh, these guys spend all day, these are professional fishermen, they spend all day catching massive uh, fish, but it comes from multiple days, uh, for eight hours a day every day, and let's be honest, ain't nobody got time for that, okay? Uh, and secondly, they've all got boats. Uh, if they're not catching fish, they just go to another spot. Well, I don't have a boat. Uh, so I started watching guys fish out of kayaks, something that just seemed a little bit more attainable for me in our season of life. Well, something that you quickly realize is very important for these kayak fishermen especially especially in deep waters, are anchors. You know, several weeks ago, I watched a guy catch a 500-pound marlin and get drugged six miles off the shore on a kayak. Uh, his, his anchor, we could just say, it, it didn't work very well. It didn't quite do the trick. Nonetheless, something that we know to be true is that anchors keep boats from drifting. Right? They keep them from uh, drifting with the current. They stabilize the boat uh, in a position that it needs to stay in. The anchors keep the boat in place. And so for the Christian, we know that our ultimate anchor is Jesus Christ. Uh, he will not be moved. He is our strong anchor. But along with that, understanding who God is and what he has promised also proves to be an anchor for the Christian. Listen, God's promises, they're a gift for the Christian. And in the midst of our ever-changing current of the world that we live, on, live in, where on certain days it feels like we're being drugged out to sea on a 500 pound, by a 500-pound marlin on a kayak. And that's what it feels like at times. But this is what we'll, what we'll see today, is that God's promises anchor us, anchor his people in difficult days. Which again, leads us to chapter 6, when God comes in responding to Moses after his moment, his great moment, yet again, of doubt and unbelief. What I want us to see uh, in God's response to Moses in this section of doubt and unbelief are three things. Right, God answers three questions here. He doesn't actually ask these questions in the text. Uh, he should have asked these questions because these are the, this is, these are the answers that God gave. Uh, he answered these questions. And these are the three questions we'll see answered. Number one, who is God? Uh, number two, what has God done? And number three, what, God, what will God do? And these, these are our three points for today. This is where we're going. We're going to answer these qu three questions uh, and these, are not, these were not just good for Moses. These questions are good for us too. These are questions we need to continually answer, I would say daily for ourselves. But especially, especially during times of doubt and unbelief. Who is God? What has he done? And what will he do? That said, let's, this, is what Lord, this is what God says starting in verse 1 of chapter 6. It says, But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Let's not miss this. God is being incredibly patient with Moses. Remember, God spoke to Moses through a burning bush. We saw that a few weeks ago. Moses doubted him time and time again, and he finally walked in obedience. The people of Israel listened. However, they were, uh, they were met with great difficulty, and they were quick to doubt God again. And Moses just said to God at the end of chapter 5, you've made us stink. Why did you ever, why did you ever send me? And what does God say in, re in return? Does he reprimand Moses? No, he did not reprimand Moses. He reminded Moses. He reminded him of who he is and what he will do, which leads us to our first question that God answers. Number one, who is God? 
Moses has already forgotten who God is. And so God reminds him by telling him who he is. God reminds Moses of his strong hand, of his power, not just power, right, but a confident and a trustworthy power that, he's, well, that what he says will happen. It's certain. And then in these next few these verses, we can draw three conclusions of who God is, seeing part of his character. And the first from verse, from verse 1, what we just saw, is that God is in control. God is in control. He's reminding Moses in verse 1, Moses, don't worry. I've got this. I've heard their cry. I've seen their affliction. Moses, it may, it may seem or feel like, like Pharaoh is in control, but do not be fooled. No, Moses. I'm God. I am in control. I have a strong hand. I made the whole world with my hands. I hold the whole world with my hands, and Pharaoh will let my people go by my strong hand. This is a simple yet astounding truth. We love to say that God is sovereign theologically, that God is in control, yet emotionally we just become train wrecks, believing that the world is out of control. We're being pulled by a 500-pound marlin on a kayak. Listen, in times of uncertainty, doubt, and unbelief, trusting in God's sovereignty and control, trusting that he is over all things, that he is in all things, that he is before all things, and that he holds all things together is one of the greatest, single greatest truths that we can hold to as a Christian. That truth of God's sovereignty uh, helps keep us anchored in turbulent times. Knowing that God has a strong hand and that God is over even hard-hearted humans like Pharaoh, including evil rulers like Pharaoh, is an incredibly strong anchor. Listen, we can't, we can't get through the book of Exodus without seeing God's incredibly strong, mighty hand of control over his creation. There's no doubt about it. If God wills it, it will happen. Matthew 10, 29 says, As a sparrow does not fall to the ground apart from God. Not a single sparrow falls to the ground apart from God. Let's not forget that God, our creator, is in control of his universe that he created. He holds the whole world in his hands. So not only is God in control, but look what he says next about who he is. Look, starting in verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. There are two names here that God refers to himself as. One, the first is God Almighty, and the second that we see is the Lord. Right? It's, the, it's, it's Yahweh. That's, that's how it's translated. The, the Lord is translated, Yahweh is translated as the Lord. He said, I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty, but they did not know me as the Lord. God is revealing more of himself, more of who he is to Moses. Moses will know more. Moses knew more about God and who he is than Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So let's look at that first name, God Almighty. God here is reminding Moses that he is still God Almighty. He has never stopped being God Almighty. He is still the God that created the world. He's reminding Moses, uh, the next one, that God is powerful. God is powerful. When we think of God as powerful, there's a reverence and a fear. There's a grandness and an awe that comes with God Almighty. There's a grandness to God and a smallness to man. We see, we see God Almighty when we look out at the ocean, right? When we, see, when we look up at the stars, when we see things like the Grand Canyon, we're reminded of God's splendor and his majesty. God Almighty inspires wonder and awe and the greatness and vastness of the creator God. There's an overwhelming power of God in view when we think of God Almighty. But then God is telling Moses... 
You've seen this part of me. You know, you know this part of me, God Almighty. I'm going to show you more, though. I'm going to show you more of who I am, saying, you will know God's name as the Lord. You will know God's name as Yahweh. Something I want to remind you of is that God said this name to Moses in chapter 3, but he didn't understand it. God is letting Moses know, you will, let, uh, you will not just know my name, Yahweh, you will grasp it, you will understand it, you and my people will experience it. Much like uh, kids that grow up in church, they hear the name of Jesus, they know the name of Jesus, they sing songs about Jesus, they read stories about Jesus, they cognitively know the name of Jesus, they know that Jesus loves them. But it's often not until later, once it becomes their own faith, that they truly understand Jesus, who he is, what he's done, uh, and, and, and as understanding Jesus as the one who saves. It's one thing to know a name, but it's a completely different thing to, come, to understand it, to experience it. God is saying, Moses, you and Israel will experience and know me as Yahweh, as the Lord, showing that he is a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God, showing them that God cares, that, that, God, is, that God is personal, right? showing that God cares, that God is personal, and he deeply cares, he's deeply, he's a personal God, he's for his people. Yahweh, the Lord, intertwines his power with his personal promise-keeping care. Reminding both Moses and us today that God not only has the power to do something, but he actually cares and he wants to do something and he will do something. Showing that God is not just in control and powerful, but he wants us to trust him. He wants us to have to personally, intimately, and relationally trust him. God is not just sovereign power and in control, but he's also deeply personal. These, cannot, these two ideas, they cannot and should not be at odds with one another. The name Yahweh, the Lord, it intertwines these two ideas. Not only does God personally care for his people, but he has the power, control, and mighty hand to actually do something about it, which we'll see in the next few chapters. He does do something about it, which as the people of God, it's, this is remarkably comforting. God does not promise us ease or comfort. He promises that he is Yahweh. And he will do what's best for his people. And then look what he reminds them of next, starting in verse 4. He says, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Did you catch what God is doing here? He's saying to Moses, don't forget what I've done. Bringing us our next question that he answers what has God done? God said he established his covenant with them to give them a land. He's, re he's reminding them that he made a promise and that he will keep his promise, saying to Moses, it may not look like it now, but I promise Moses, I promise I have not forgotten you and I have not forgotten you as my people. I have not forgotten the promise, the covenant that I made. Moses, don't forget, I'm Yahweh. I'm a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God, which as we know, he did exactly what he promised. Because we know that later, that Moses, at the end of his life, he saw the land with his eyes. He saw the land that God promised, Then his ancestors lived in it, like God promised. And so what has God done? God made a covenant. He made a promise, and he did not forget it. But we must continue to ask, what else has God done? What else has God done? Well, he reminds Moses yet again 
uh, that he has heard the groaning of his people and that he will remain faithful to his covenant. He's told this to Moses. He's told it to him multiple times at this point, saying uh, he's heard their groaning, heard their groanings. I see what's going on. Trust me, Moses. That's what he's saying. Trust me, Moses. Trust me. I'm not ignoring you. And so for us today, these first two points, these first two questions, these are two things we need constant reminders of. Right? Who is God and what has he done? Who is God and what has he done? And so we must ask, as we know even more fully than Moses did, who is God and what has he done? Well, uh, we, we see that God is powerful and personal. We also know, and we'll see in the next few verses, God is far more than that. We have the benefit uh, of looking at these next few verses that we're going to read here in a second. We have the benefit of looking at these, ver- these verses backwards. Right? They're in past tense for us of what God has already done, what he fulfilled and accomplished. But to Moses, what we're about to read to Moses this was all new. These things haven't happened yet. They were still in the future. And as we read these next few verses for us today, they're in the past tense, and we know them as kept promises, and we know that they're ultimately satisfied in Jesus. But for Moses, these, new, these next few verses, they were, they were a promise, a hope of what God would do in the future. It requ- these required faith, require, requiring faith of what is unseen, what they couldn't see to happen. They had to trust God. Essentially saying to Moses, these are things that I will do. You need to trust me. I'm the Lord. I made a covenant, and I'm going to keep it. I'm Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God. So these last two questions, uh, what has God done and what will God do? We, we Today, we read these next few verses thinking of both. Right, we think of both. We look, we look at them today as past tense in the back, backwards, of what God has done. We also see them as future tense uh, of promise of what God will do. So let's look at what God says to Moses starting in verse 6. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, and with great acts of judgment I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So this brings us to our third question. What will God do? So what did, what did God tell Moses he would do in verse 6? He said, I will bring you out from under your burdens. I will deliver you from slavery. I will redeem you with great acts of judgment. That's important. We're going to tuck that one away for a second. Uh, he says, he will redeem his people with great acts of judgment. And then in verse 7, he says, I will take you to be my people. I will be your God, and you will know that I am the Lord. Reminding them yet again, you will know that I keep my promises. And then in verse 8, he says, I will bring you to the land that I swore to give you. And then he says, I will give that land to you for a possession. Right? It's going to be a gift. God told Moses what he will do to spur him on, to encourage him, and to build Moses' trust in difficult days. But what's interesting is that much of this language, much of this language that we just see that God said to, to Moses Moses didn't know, uh, know this language. It was all new. Moses didn't know God as a deliverer. He didn't know God as a redeemer. He didn't know God as a savior. Moses didn't fully know, uh, fully know God as the, the God that knew their burdens and cared to get them out of their burdens. And then God reveals more of who he is and what he will do as a promise in difficult day, showing that God is in control, God is powerful, and that God is personal, and that God can be trusted. And for us today, when we look back on these, Knowing that God did do these things, every one of them, 
you know, we're here today knowing the rest of the story. We know that God did bring his people out of the burden, like he said he would do from Egypt. And he did deliver his people out of slavery. We know that God did redeem his people with great acts of judgment and that God did make them his people and give them the land that he promised. And so for us today, we look back on this and we see what God has done. But then as we know, there's even more to the story that shows more of what God has done. God revealed himself, we saw, as God Almighty. And in the book of Exodus, he reveals himself as Yahweh, as the Lord. And then later, we know that God became a man. He lived with his people, revealing more of who he is as his character, as the Messiah, under the name of Jesus Christ, which means God saves. Everything that God promised to Moses, he kept it. He did it. But what God was doing with Moses in this moment was also preparing his people for a greater redemption. He was preparing his people for a greater deliverer, a greater burden lifter, a greater gift giver, a more fully realized and more personal and a more intimate God. What is God doing in the book of Exodus? What God is doing in the book of Exodus is setting the scene for an ultimate deliverance. Everything that is pictured physically in Exodus is realized spiritually in Jesus Christ. God in the book of Exodus, God is laying the foundation for gospel language. Get this. God became a man in the name of Jesus Christ who never doubted Jesus, never experienced unbelief. Jesus healed the sick, the blind, the mute. He walked on water. He calmed storms. He showed incredible power and control over his creation. And yet he walked with his people as the Lord, as Yahweh, showing his intimate care and personal nature. Nature And then what does Jesus do? He did what, what God did for Israel while in Exodus, taking their burden. Jesus came to take the burden of our sin, the sin that enslaves us, that often controls us. And he came to take it so we would no longer have to be controlled by our sin, but rather we would be controlled by Yahweh, the Lord, by Jesus Christ. Israel was under the terrible slavery this terrible physical slavery under Egypt. But there, but there was and is a greater, more tragic slavery under a far worse ruler than Pharaoh. There's a greater, more tragic slavery under the ruler of the world that enslaves this world to sin, that burdens the world. His name is Satan. The slavery of sin is not just for Israel. The slavery of sin puts the entire world into bondage under the ruler of the world, under Satan. But yet, in God's incredible and remarkable grace, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to redeem his people, to deliver his people out of the bondage, out of the slavery of sin. And do you know how he delivers his people? Remember, I said this was important. God delivers his people through a great act of judgment, just like God promised Moses and how he would deliver Israel from the hand of Pharaoh. But this time, this act of judgment would be different. This act of judgment that God would do to deliver this people from the bondage of sin, we know and see this act of judgment as the cross, the crucifixion. But the interesting part of this great act of judgment was the judgment at the cross was put onto Jesus. It was put onto God's Son who was without fault. The judgment that we see in Exodus was towards Pharaoh. The judgment we see here in Exodus, it was towards the enemy. But the judgment of the cross was put onto Jesus who was not the enemy. No, this was the Son of God. 
Jesus at the cross became God's enemy, taking on God's judgment so we could be brought near and become God's people, just like he promised he would do in the book of Exodus. Listen, if you're not a Christian here today, or if you're listening online, listen carefully to this because this is really important. This is eternally important because the wages of our sin... The wages of our disobedience to God, they deserve judgment by God. Just like Pharaoh, a ruthless ruler, would be judged by God's strong hand, we too, because of our sin, will also be judged by God's strong hand. In the story of Exodus, you know, we like to think, we like to put ourselves in the, in the, in, with the, in the Israelite shoes, thinking we're like the Israelites, but we're not, we're Pharaoh. Deserving God's judgment. Just like Pharaoh deserved judgment for his wrongdoing, we deserve judgment for our wrongdoing. We deserve judgment for our sin. God's mighty hand must display judgment for wrong. Every single person on this planet will be judged just like Pharaoh was judged. But the question we must all consider is who will take the judgment? The good news of the gospel is that Jesus at the cross took the judgment of God's mighty hand for our sin. That's the gospel. We deserve judgment under God's mighty hand, but Jesus took it for us at the cross where he was nailed and whipped and died a criminal's death. But we must not be fooled because Jesus did not stay dead. No, Jesus rose from the dead, defeating sin and death in order to redeem and save his people. However, I must be clear on this. As we consider what God has done, redemption can only come through faith. The faith that it took Moses to speak to Pharaoh, trusting that God is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do, that same faith is required for redemption, for eternal redemption, for a spiritual redemption. This is the gospel. It's a free gift, but it requires faith. Moses' faith was for a future redemption. But our faith in Jesus Christ is for a personal and is for an eternal redemption. When we look to see who God is and what God has done and what God will do, it would be tragically incomplete if we did not mention the cross of Christ. Christianity void of the cross is hopeless. The, The cross is our ultimate promise, making it our ultimate anchor. And what we know to be true, even in difficult days, is that the cross, is that because of the cross, we are not left without hope. We have an eternally secured future. Listen, any temporary challenging circumstances, they're but a speck of dust, (laughs) but a speck of dust in the scheme of God's eternal creation. Listen, the effects of the coronavirus and the politically and racially charged culture are a speck of dust in the wind of eternity. Brothers and sisters, in our difficult days, we must not lose sight of who God is, what he has done, and what he will do. Listen, when we lose sight of God and his glory, our gaze, it all of a sudden, and I'm, and I'm speaking to myself right now, when we lose sight of God's glory and these perspectives, our gaze, it, it gets put on, 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 on a face mask, on having to wear a face mask or an impending election or what someone said on social media. Our, our God certainly does not look past these things. He cares about them. He hears them and he sees them, but he is certainly far bigger than these things. He is Yahweh the Lord. 
the God who saves and redeems. And as we look at the last verse here, one of the things that's sad, yet not surprising, that I want to point out is in verse 9. It says, Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did, they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. I want to be very clear here. Uh, what we see here, this is true for the Christian, and it's true for the person who's not a Christian. The person of Israel, the people of Israel, they heard from God, yet they did not listen because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. First, for the person who's not a Christian. If, if you are a Christian, maybe this is for someone you know. But the sad reality is that people can hear God's truth, yet because of a distraught spirit, uh, the harsh slavery of sin, or possibly a difficult external circumstance, what is true is easily or often ignored. If this is you or you know someone like this, I'm praying that God's mighty hand will save you or the person that you know. Our job as Christians is the same as Moses' job, and it's to speak what God has said, but we cannot forget that it will take God's mighty hand to move in power. God saves sinners, we do not. God stirs the hearts of his people, we do not. Our job is to be faithful, and God's job is to be fruitful. And then secondly, for the person who is a Christian, I must ask Are your external circumstances and distraught spirit, are they keeping us, are they keeping you, are they keeping me from hearing from the Lord? Is the slavery of sin, is it keeping you from hearing from God? Let that sit. I'll say it again. Are your external circumstances or distraught spirit keeping you from hearing from the God who made you? You know, that we, we know that circumstances, they come and go, and we know that it's okay to be distraught. God has made us emotional beings. But is it keeping us from hearing from the Lord? Is it keeping you from your source of hope? And so I want to call us to search out our hearts. Is there bitterness or a hardness of heart that needs to be dealt with? Maybe it's towards God. Maybe it's towards a person, or maybe it's just toward, maybe it's towards life in general. But my question to you is are we trusting, are you trusting in the promises of God? Even when you don't feel like it or when you don't want to. When these times in our lives come up, when we get in these moments, may we remember how God deals with this. God wants to remind us of who he is, what he has done, and what he will do. And so when we look at these three questions that God answers in times of doubt and unbelief during difficult days, may we continually ask ourselves these questions. Who is God? What has he done, and what will he do? Today, as Christians, as we've discussed, we know uh, we have a much more full picture of this. Who is God? Well, he's in control. He's powerful. He's personal. But even more than that, God became a man in Jesus Christ and gave us the Holy Spirit to be with us, to live inside of us. That God that is in control and powerful and personal dwells inside of us and is with us. He's both personal and powerful, so powerful and so personal that he uses and changes broken people like you and me. He changes lives. That's what God does. And then, what has, and then, what, and then we ask, what has God done? We know it's the greatest act. We, we know that he died on the cross to redeem his people. Patrick said this last week, in times of doubt, wondering if God is faithful, we look to the cross. The cross is our greatest reminder of God's faithfulness, that he makes promises and he keeps them. And not only do we look to the cross, which is sufficient in itself, but we look. But what is good for us to remember and regularly consider 
And it's the question, what else has God done in your life? Have, just having a spirit of thankfulness and remembrance that God has brought us from darkness to light. That God has taken our burden of sin and that also remembering and showing thankfulness of God's past faithfulness in our lives. Listen, God is faithful. We either know it and remember it or we've just forgotten it. God's means of encouragement in difficult seasons is remembering who God is, remembering what he has done. And then lastly for us today, what will God do? And the answer for that as our church, God will do what he's been doing for thousands of years. It's a promise. He promised it to Moses and it's a promise for us. God will deliver his people out of bondage. God will save his people from the slavery of sin and God will lift, lift the burdens of his people and God will one day bring us to a promise, an eternal land where there will be no more pain and sadness. Listen, we do not have a promise as Christians of prosperity or comfort or ease, but we do have a promise that God is faithful, that he will keep his promises and he will redeem and save his people from the weight and the penalty of sin. And so during difficult days, the promises of God have not changed. God is a rescuer. God is a redeemer. God is a savior. We either are part of this rescue mission or we are not. The promises of God anchor his people during difficult days. And so as we close out our time, you know, I was recently reminded of, a, of something that happened about a year and a half ago before we, right before we were about to put our house in the market to sell it so we could move here. You know, one day about 100 yards from our house, there was this massive sinkhole right in the middle of the road. I mean, we're talking 15 feet deep uh, in the, I mean, 50 yards from our house, 100 yards from our house. And of course, I'm like, great, we're about to, we're trying to sell our house and uh, we're never going to sell it. We're never going to get to Tampa. I'm worried about it for days. Come to find out it, was, it wasn't caused naturally. You know, a water pipe busted underneath it, underground, and, and nobody, you know, no one knew about it, but they were able to later fix it. Praise the Lord. Uh, but in a sinkhole, what happens is that the water, it slowly erodes away the foundation day in and day out, just slowly eroding away underneath the surface until one day that surface, it just completely implodes. You know, we cannot let our surrounding circumstances or our distraught spirit, we cannot let these things erode at our soul, completely forgetting who God is, what he has done, and what he has promised. And so what is it in your life that has taken your eyes off of who God is, what he has done, and what he has what is it that is eroding at your soul, waiting for you to one day just implode? My hope and prayer for you today is, for each of us, myself included, is that we would refix our gaze on Jesus Christ, that we would look to and trust the sovereign, personal, powerful, relational, caring hand of God, whatever it is that is robbing your attention, whatever it is that is eroding at our souls, I hope that today can serve as a gen gentle reminder yet again a gentle reminder, a patient reminder from God that we need to refix our gaze upon Jesus, the promise-keeping, trustworthy God and Redeemer. And when we look to Jesus, to, do you know what he will do? Quite possibly. As a result of a healthy fruit, the relationships that have been strained, the bitterness that has been manifested, the distrust that has been cultivated, the doubt that has begun to show its face, the worry or fear that has been developed, the sadness or loneliness that has crept in, Whatever it is that is eroding away at our soul, when we fix our eyes on Jesus and remember who God is, what he has done, and what he will do, all of a sudden, these truths and promises, they begin to anchor us and keep us stable in the drifting current of our difficult days.
freeing us to worship God in joy. I pray uh, that we would, we would fix our, our, our eyes on Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, you anchor us. You are our ultimate anchor. Father, you have showed us yourself. We know who you are. Father, we know what you've done. We know what you have promised. We pray that we would trust it. That we would find great hope and great trust in who you are and that it would anchor us in our, in our difficult days. Father, we love you. We need you. And we ask this all in Jesus Christ. Amen.